Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Meredith. This episode features Dr. Raymond Razanable, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science in Rochester, Minnesota. In this episode, he discusses CMV management strategies beyond primary prophylaxis and solid organ transplant recipients. For the full online educational program, including downloadable slides, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what he has to say about this topic. Despite all the preventive efforts, preemptive therapy, there's still a group of people that will develop CMV disease regardless of the preventive measures that we provide. And that's the topic. So what's the goal of treatment for CMV? Really, the primary immediate goal is alleviate the symptoms, get the fever away, get the patient better, resolve the syndrome, prevent organ invasive disease from progressing, and uh, preserve the organ. And in addition to that, we also prevent indirect effects by doing so, like preventing algraft loss, improving patient survival, as well as reducing the risk of opportunistic infections. How do we do that? Currently, in 2023, the drug of choice is still gancyclovir, either in the form of oral valgancyclovir or intravenous gancyclovir. In a clinical trial that was conducted many years ago by Dr. Omar here, he compared gancyclovir IV and PO valgancyclovir in patients with mild to moderate CMV disease and the outcomes in terms of viral load eradication as well as clinical improvement is similar between the two groups. Caution, the trial did not include patients with severe CMV disease, those with life-threatening CMV disease. So in patients who are in, they present with these conditions, severe, life-threatening, your first-line option is preferably still going to be intravenous concyclovir. And if there is concern about gastrointestinal absorption, then IV concyclovir is still the way to go. There are other drugs listed in the, in the slide here. Acyclovir don't really work. Valacyclovir don't really work for treatment. Cydophovir, Fuscarnet, they do work, but they are really highly toxic, so they're not considered first line. Letromovir don't have an approval for treatment. And then we will discuss about the role of Maribovir. When you treat patients with CMV, you also, in addition to viral load monitoring, which is done weekly to assess viral response, you also have to check CMV, uh, the CBC differential count, to make sure that the patients are not developing myelosuppression from encyclopedia. Serum creatinine is also checked just to make sure that the doses of the drugs are adjusted accordingly based on renal function. And then the duration is highly individualized. There is no set specific time point wherein you stop. The, the only way to stop is if you know that the virus is gone and eradicated from the blood, and then the symptoms have resolved. And that highly varies among patients. And ideally, at the time point that you stop, the immunity should have recovered. And we will discuss some patients still don't have that uh, by the time that the viral load is eradicated. This brings the question of secondary prophylaxis. So there's a lot of people who practice secondary prophylaxis to patients who are considered high risk of CMV relapse. Clinical studies have shown that relapse after treatment of CMV disease in solid organ transplant can be as high as 35% viremia recurrence. It's pretty high. And because of that, people 
are or providers are giving antiviral prophylaxis secondary. Like when the viral load is declined to zero, they give prophylactic doses. But what's the data on that? The data there is really debated. Some work, some don't work. And part of that, I think, is because we don't know who needs them. And there is some idea as to who that group will be, and that will be patients who are highly immunosuppressed, as listed in the, in the, in the box here. Secondary prophylaxis is not recommended for everybody, but you may consider doing it in patients who you think are highly immunosuppressed, and that you should be able to either do that or closely monitor using CMV surveillance. You've heard about CMV-CMI from Dr. Imlai, and there's also a potential utility of CMV-CMI post-treatment. So in patients who have been treated, is there a role for CMV-CMI in these situations? And this is a study. This was presented at ID Week last year, published this year on clinical transplantation. It's really a small study of 20 solid organ transplant recipients with CMV disease and viremia. And they got treated with gancyclovir or valgancyclovir until the viral load has declined to undetectable levels. At the time that the viral load is undetectable, CMV-CMI was used using quantipurin acid. And what this graph shows is if the CMV-CMI is positive or detected, that means immunity has been attained. And even if you don't give secondary prophylaxis, the risk of relapse is zero. For those who don't achieve CMV-CMI positivity, that means the immunity has not yet been attained. The risk of relapse is higher. It's a relatively small study, but it does confirm a previous study from Toronto, or wherein they also looked at 27 solid organ transplant recipients with CMV viremia, and they treated the patients until viral load is undetectable. And then they also measured CMV-CMI using quantiferent CMV. For those that have a positive CMV-CMI that's in blue, the risk of relapse after treatment has been discontinued is basically almost zero without secondary prophylaxis. The red line there is actually patients whose CMV-CMI is negative at the time of viral eradication. So treatment is completed. But because the CMV-CMI is negative, these patients are given two months of secondary prophylaxis. When they stop the prophylaxis, there is still a high rate of CMV relapse in this patient population, about 69%. That's pretty high. And that really tells us that it's not a problem of antiviral therapy. It's a problem of immunity. So these are people that are probably over-immunosuppressed so that the Goal here now is not only to give antiviral therapy, but also give that antiviral therapy. It buys you time by allowing you to also reduce the immunosuppression. Talk to your transplant nephrologist and hepatologist to have them lay low on immunosuppression so that those T cells come back. So that when you stop the antiviral prophylaxis, the risk of CMB infection is reduced. So. This is my schema of how do I prevent CMV relapse after treatment. It's a proposal uh, using both the viral parameters as well as immune parameters to complement your clinical assessments. Timeline is at the bottom. The orange circles are CMV PCR assay. If they're positive, you give treatment. Once it turns negative, then you do CMV CMI if this is something that's available to you. 
If it's positive, then it's probably safe, most likely safe to stop antiviral treatment at that time. But if they're negative, you may consider secondary prophylaxis and at the same time allow for immune recovery by reducing the dose of immunosuppression. That brings us to another problem that we encounter in solid organ transplanters in transplantation uh, with CMV. That's basically the resistant and refractory CMV disease that Dr. Humar had mentioned early on. The incidence varies from 0 to 3% depending on the duration of antiviral exposure. It's usually higher among mismatched patient populations. It's higher among those that are over-immunosuppressed, such as the lung transplant recipients, as well as intestinal and multivisceral transplant recipients. And then the clinical symptoms really highly vary. There are some that are just asymptomatic. There are some that are really tissue-invasive, leading to high rates of mortality and morbidity. And the outcomes is shown here, higher rates of hospitalization, increased adverse reaction from the antiviral drugs that we use, poscarnet, cidohovir, they are highly toxic. There's also higher risk of rejection because we tend to reduce the immunosuppression. If we do it too much, then the organs will reject. And then studies have shown that patients with refractory and resistant CMB are associated with higher risk of long-term mortality. So risk factors are listed here. Lack of immunity is really a key risk factor, and that's your mismatched patient population. If they get too much T-cell depletion, and then the multivisceral transplant. And then these are usually happening in patients who's had multiple prolonged antiviral exposures, as well as if the drug is not adjusted based on renal function. There are situations, I'm sure you've encountered them, wherein the patient goes on low-dose valgancyclovir at the time that they get dismissed because the renal function is not good. But as the renal function recovers, many people forget to adjust up the dose of antiviral therapy. And if the, in cases like that, the uh, risk of resistance goes high. So when do you suspect antiviral resistance? And that is suspected when the viral load does not decline by a log after two, three, two to three weeks of effective antiviral therapy. Or if the viral load continues to increase despite antiviral treatment, then you consider resistance. And the this is most commonly seen in patients who've had persistent viral replication whose dose of antiviral drugs has not just been adjusted properly. So what do you do? You send the sample for testing. And there's Sanger sequencing, there's next generation sequencing, there's a lot of kind of assays that are now available looking at mutations in various genes, UL97, UL54, UL56, depending on the drug. And usually these assays can detect resistance if the viral load is a thousand international units or higher. There are some that can actually detect it to as low as 500 international units per ml. But this is really important because it will guide you as to what will be the next line of treatment. This is really important because we need treat aggressively refractory and resistant CMV because the outcomes as shown here in this uh, case control study originating from Washington, suggesting that the morbidity associated with resistant CMV is significantly worse, as well as the mortality both at three months as well as six months, or as well as 12 months, is worse in patients with consecutively resistant CMV infection. So how do we treat refractory and resistant CMV? Most cases of refractory CMV are a problem of overimmunosuppression. 
So the first line there really, is there a way for us to reduce the immunosuppressive drug? So it's a multidisciplinary effort. It's not reliant only on the ID folks. It is a combined decision between the patient, the transplant medicine specialist, as well as infectious disease. And then the next question to you is what antiviral drug to use? And those are the choices right there. Currently in 2023, you have Cidofovir. No one wants to use that because of renal toxicity. You have Foscarnet. Again, we try to avoid that just because of renal as well as metabolic toxicity. Some, particularly when the resistance is not high level, can go away with high level of high dose concyclovir. Again, that's associated with a lot of myelosuppression. And then finally, a new drug new, that was really resurrected. This has been tried on for since 2006, 2007. But finally, get approved for refractory resistance CMV based on a clinical trial that we'll discuss. That's Maribavir. And then there are other investigational drugs that we will discuss. What's Maribavir? So Maribavir, this is a, cl- a drug that was recently approved for the treatment of refractory and resistant CMV. And this is based on this randomized open-label phase 3 study conducted in solid organ as well as stem cell transplant recipients with refractory CMV infections. What happened is these patients were randomized to either Maribavir, which is the investigational drug, or an investigator-assigned treatment. And the investigator-assigned treatment could be Foscarnet, Cydofovir, or Hydroskonsyclovir. And they were treated for eight weeks. And the outcome is clearance of CMV from the blood at week eight. And as you could see in the graph of response, is significantly higher in patients who receive Maribavir compared to those who receive Foscarnet, Cydofovir, or Gonsyclovir. But the effect is not long-lasting. As you could see here, by week 12, there's a lot of relapse. At 16, there's a lot of relapse as well as 20. And again, this is an issue of probably overimmune suppression, which goes back to the primary risk factors as to why patients develop refractory and resistant CMV. It's not mainly antiviral drug, but also immunosuppression. The advantage of Marivavir is it is safer compared to poscarnet. So the risk of acute kidney injury is significantly lower, and the risk of neutropenia is significantly lower compared to gencyclovir. So this is a suggested algorithm as to how we treat refractory and resistant CMV. This came out earlier this year. If there is inadequate response to treatment, virologically or clinically, you check the drug, check the dose, you check for resistance, you reduce immunosuppression. If you're waiting for the resistance testing and you think this is a refractory CMV disease, you look at the viral load. If the viral load is low, then you go ahead and treat with Maribavir. If the viral load is high over concerns that Marivavir resistance may happen soon, you start usually with Foscarnet and then switch to uh, Marivavir once the viral load is better controlled. The caution with the use of Marivavir is it does not have a central nervous system penetration. That's good. So if you're dealing with CMB retinitis or CMB encephalitis, this is not a good drug to use because it does not penetrate in those places. And once your resistance testing comes back, you tailor it based on the resistance profile, and then you treat until the viral load is undetectable. And hopefully by that time, your immunity has come back and recovered. Other drugs that are mentioned, CMV, immunoglobulin, IVIG, these are adjunctive therapies. They're not used as primary. Dr. Humar had mentioned about the lower risk of CMV in patients who are on mTOR inhibitors such as serolimus. 
drugs that has been used such as artesanide and leflonamide, these are just basically anecdotal reports, no strong data to support their use. But I'd like it focused on adaptive T cell, and that's because it supplements the lack of immunity in this patient. So if you have patients that are in this category, I consider reaching out to centers that are doing clinical trials on adaptive T cell uh, treatment for the treatment of uh, refractory uh, CMD. So the take-home points for treatment is the goal of therapy is to alleviate the direct effects of CMV as well as to prevent the secondary outcomes. Risk factors, really, it boils down to lack of CMV-specific immunity as well as prolonged antiviral suppression, antiviral drug exposure. We monitor viral as well as immune measures. When we treat patients with CMVDC, secondary prophylaxis should not be given routinely, but may be considered in patients who are over-immunosuppressed and have lack of cell-mediated immunity. And then the treatment for refractory and resistant CMV now includes a new drug called Maribavir, and this should be done in combination with reduction in immunosuppression. Thank you very much to Dr. Razanable, and thank you to our listeners for joining in. To hear more episodes from this episode on CMV, see the link in the show notes. And please be sure to check back for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thank you and have a great day.